She knows where the mic she goes. Yeah. <laughs> she Okay. Literally. literally, I think literally, literally now, yeah. Even more. Perfect. Welcome to the bundle of hers. This is her Jeet, and in the studio we have Margot. Bushra and Lean are taking a break today. Um, we're really lucky because we have um, Dr. Kurtley Jones in the studio with us, and she also has a podcast with the Scope called The Seven Domains of Women's Health. So we're really excited that you're in the studio with us, Dr. Jones. Thank you for coming. I'm pleased to be here. I think today we really were interested in talking to you about women in medical school because that's something we feel the pressures of every day. And so we were curious on your perspective of what it was like going through medical school as a woman and maybe even in your practice. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I graduated from medical school 40 years ago this year. You have to remember that we're working on my memory, which is usually pretty good, but not perfect. And my background, which isn't necessarily yours. Mm -hmm. So thinking back, I graduated from the University of Colorado and I went to the University of Colorado as an undergrad. So it was my medical school. I never thought about being a pre-med until the summer uh, between my junior and senior year. Mm -hmm. So I happily took the uh, MCATs in September, interviews in October, and was accepted early decision in November. Wow. Wow. So a lot of the concerns that people have about getting into medical school and women about putting their lives together and putting their lives on hold, I didn't really experience because there I was. That There were some difficulties in my family that moved my direction from developmental and molecular biology to medicine. My father had died that summer. Mm-hmm. And so I was ready to make a move. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> so in terms of women in medical school, things have changed, I would say. So I've been an educator here at the University of Utah for the past 34 years. And the things I've seen, is certainly more women. And that's terrific. Yes. Because you add a gentle flavor to the medical school class. That doesn't mean you're not competitive. But it just is nicer. And the fact that you guys get together. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's great. I think one of the differences for women in medicine is that uh, we were expected just to know the unwritten curriculum. Mm-hmm. So we didn't touch right. a patient until our third year. And we were expected to have the social skills to walk into a clinic yeah, and touch someone. Now, as women, I think it's comfortable for us touching Mm-hmm. So I think that actually doing a physical exam and being on a level with patients wasn't hard for us, but we didn't have any experience before our third year. So I think that that was uh, a little bit different. There weren't that many of us. May I ask how many women were in your medical school class? Well, this is this is going back in my memory. I think we had about 20 out of a little over 100. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty progressive at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was enough that we had an impact. Now, I would say that you probably have some women in your medical class who are pregnant, even now, perhaps, or who have children. Is that true? Right. We have mothers. I'm glad you brought that point up because it's something that has been on my mind. As a non-traditional, quote-unquote, applicant, I just turned 29 this year, and as they call it, geriatric maternal age is approaching me. I feel no, 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 of... no, no, no. 35, 35. You've got a ways. I know. Just hurry. Just but hurry. I, I'm also interested in surgery, which is one of the more competitive residencies. Right. And so I'm kind of finding myself in this like jump balance of like, well, do I have 
children in medical and I want a family. So do I start having my family in medical school and or in residency? And when is the right time? There is no right time. But I feel like it's such a big barrier for women to have to think about family planning and their paths in Mm, medicine. Well, having come from a generation where there were very few, if any of our my classmates who uh, had children that would not have been thought of. And mm-hmm. having a baby during a residency was also un- unheard of, unless you had a very special partner. So having children in whatever your career might be is totally dependent on your partner. Mm-hmm. If you have a partner who's in there full on, ready to pick up the pieces any time of day, or you have a partner and a third person, you need someone who is there that you trust to be there to pick up pieces because you won't always be there. Mm-hmm. So you can do it anytime if you have that support. Yeah. If you don't have that support, then you will constantly be judging yourself mm-hmm. to be inadequate. You won't be a good enough surgeon. You won't be a good enough mother. You won't be a good enough wife. Mm-hmm. Now that's not that you will be those things. Right. But you'll see yourself as that. So mm-hmm. it's a matter of how you build your team. Right. And I'd say my whole career has been built with women at my side. I have a male partner, husband, <laughs> a partner for, for over 40 years now. But it's the women who've been at my side. Yeah. My nannies, my housekeepers. Supporting you. Yeah. They are the ones who've supported me. My secretaries. <laughs> I love that you say that because I think that's something that I always feel like even now what's been holding me together is um, I'm really good friends with the people that I do this podcast with Margot Bush and lean and we really like hold each other and support each other through this. And I guess my question is, was there ever a time where you felt um, support with your classmates, especially your female classmates when you were in medical school? No, but that may have more to do with me um, and that I was a pretty serious student. Mm -hmm. I took medicine because of this thing that happened in my family as a calling. Mm -hmm. So for me, I wasn't terribly social. It was an experience that I remembered vividly when I was thinking of coming here today. Um, When we were in our first year doing anatomy, you had the option of either doing the entire anatomy dissection with a small team or you could do just part, and you could teach your part to a larger team. I think that was actually an experiment. <laughs> okay. So there were a group of women whose consciousnesses about women's issues were much more elevated than mine. Mm-hmm. I tended to sit, do my stuff. I was kind of a Teflon girl. <laughs> if someone, you know, either whistled at me or whatever, I just didn't really notice it, or it was their problem. Mm-hmm. But one of the faculty, an orthopedic male faculty, in his lecture put up a scantily clad woman. And these women walked out. And I went, oh, oh they are so brave. And I didn't know them there well. They were kind of a tough group. And mm-hmm. I was kind of a scaredy cat. So they walked out. And I should have been friends with them. Another thing happened that year. They grouped together to make a group where their body part was going to be the female pelvis that they were going to dissect. Oh. And during their dissection, someone at night came mm. and destroyed their pelvis prosection. No. That's mutilated. Just And terrible. it was awful. It, it, it 
tore up the medical school class. We had no idea who had done it, whether it was one of the someone in the lab or it was one of the medical students. And that also should have pulled me closer to these women. Mm-hmm. I knew something awful had happened to women. And unfortunately, you know, my head was in the clouds. So I think you guys are much more aware than I was and much more than the rest of my class. This was a group of women who really supported each other and stuck together. Not that they didn't have male friends right. and colleagues. I love yeah. that you say that. Because, in fact, um, I had some male colleagues who are still my friends from medical school, the few that I do have, mm-hmm. uh, a couple women and a couple men. But I missed out on the richness of these friendships. Um, do you feel like the male peers in your class respected you as, or your group, the group of women as women students? Well, I think they respected me because I was a smart girl. And I think they were in awe and a little fear. These group of women were fearsome. <laughs> they were warriors. <laughs> they were warriors for women. So I don't know the word respect is, is partly a term, somewhat of respect. Some didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Some really guys didn't get it. Yeah. But some did and were right there with them. Actually, again, I guess it was my second year. During physical diagnosis, you know how you have program patients. You have yes. to be your. Well, we did not, so we did physical exams on each other, oh, and we're wow. supposed to pair up with women and guys who didn't. I don't know how guys actually did a female pelvic exam, but I chose with a guy, a friend of mine. We chose to be physical diagnosis partners, so, so that we could see what it felt like to be examined by either someone we knew, and this was not a, someone I was emotionally close to. Mm-hmm, he had uh-huh. just been a partner in my in my lab. Okay. Um, so we examined each other, freaked out the colonel at the Air Force <laughs> Academy, who was our doctor mentor, uh-huh. that we were taking clothes on. He really was uncomfortable with me taking my clothes off in front of my medical student male partner wow. who was going to do my exam. But I said, I am comfortable with this because I trust this man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there were some amazing guys in my class. Amazing guys. That's good. I think even in our class, we have some people that if they've not been through the experience, they try to take the time to understand it, which I really appreciate because I think that, like you said, we add something different to every class. And I think that it's people like you who started from the beginning, you know, that have changed the way that medicine or medical school is. So do you see that shift how women are treated in medicine? Well, I'd say so. I mean, it just happens to be when you have more women in the room, women are less likely to be disrespected. Now, Mm -hmm. it's not good to have a whole bunch of women because when they get together, you know who they diss? (laughs) Each other. No, they diss the guys. (laughs) So we are not gentle to men when we get together with a group of women. And if you have a big group of men, they are not always gentle with women. So the more you mix it up, the healthier I think Mm -hmm. that it is. Also... I was substituting for layers of medicine, which is your curriculum's effort to teach the unwritten curriculum. Mm -hmm. Right. In humanities. In the humanities. And we never had that. Oh, no, 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 no. And as I was there, they did this thing called Mm -hmm. Mm check-in. So each time the small group meets, and they've been meeting together for now a year and a half, Mm -hmm. they do check-in where they talk about how they are with each other. That's great. Which I thought was fabulous. They were un unceasingly anxious, which I thought was too sad. Yeah. (laughs) But at least they were willing to articulate that. Mm -hmm. So that's been a different. And I think having more women 
both as educators, because the directors of that course are both women. Yes. Helps put the flavor of community, of caring. Not that guys don't care because they do, but they're less likely to articulate their caring and be comfortable with squishy things. Yes. And I Mm -hmm. really like that in your class. Did you see a shift the way you or women in general were treated during the first two years where you were just getting the education like lectures versus when you started rotations? Was there like a difference? Was it more noticeable that you were a female? Mm, Yeah, although once again, that's more my personality because if things came my way from some attending, I would listen and absorb, but it never got to me me okay it's like wow that guy is really a jerk too mm-hmm. bad too bad for him mm-hmm. um there was a time when i was on my surgery rotation i was actually doing a surgery sub eye okay so it was a fourth year and the the head of surgery at this hospital was a former army general mm-hmm. and he was letting me do an appendectomy which i thought was cool as a medical student <laughs> um but he called me kitten Mm-hmm. And I was processing the, this as I was operating, and I should have been just operating, but I could do two things at once because we're sort of multitaskers. <laughs> and as women, we're constantly analyzing the content of the conversation. Yes. Always mm-hmm. playing it back. What did that mean? And then I realized that he called his male residents fat boys. And I thought, hmm. kitten, fat boy, I think he's an equal opportunity <laughs> abuser. Uh, in general, I would say I was often the only woman on the team, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like it got in my way whatsoever. N- never. Yeah. In in many ways, it may have worked for me because I'm kind of a talky girl. <laughs> yes. So I just got right out there and in it. In line with that and kind of the current events of all the producers and big shot Hollywood men that are being called out on their sexual harassment and abuses that they've done. I'm curious if you experienced or ever knew that women were being in the same position in your time yeah, or like yeah. in your rotations or. Yeah, that was asked of me at a little dinner table conversation with some young women. And I don't remember that except for that kitten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I thought, is, is that, am I being, am I being called out or harassed or am I being sexually, you know, abused and the fat boy part. I mean, if they call me fat girl, that's kind of a Trumpism, and I wouldn't have liked that. Yeah. So, yeah. no, no, but they didn't call me. Right. Call me. So I don't think so, but that may not have been everyone's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I was uh, fortunate. Mm-hmm. I was at a university that really cared about medicine mm-hmm. and caring about taking care of people. As a resident at the Boston Lying Inn and then the Brigham, once again, I... I was on, as my intern, I was on with all-male teams, Mm -hmm. but I don't remember any time when I was treated differently than any of the guys. That's encouraging. Yeah, it was. But remember, I told you that if it came, I just kind of like, (laughs) yeah, like, oh, he's a jerk. Too bad for him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good attitude. That's not, well, it is, but many people don't do it that way. Yeah. And because I did that, I didn't call people out, which I maybe should have. Okay. So I apologize. Mm. For all the women who got it when I should have stood up and walked out of the classroom. I should have. I think in a way, I feel like you are because you're talking about it. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Because I think that, you know, just even seeing that, you know, I there's oftentimes things I've done in the past and I'm like, I cannot believe I wasn't there standing for this person. 
But then I remember that, oh, at least I'm acknowledging it and didn't just erase it from my memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of along the same lines, we've been talking about things that have gotten better and um, changed for the better. But are there things that you that have changed that you wish didn't change? Like oh, medical school? Well, I'd say with medicine. respect to being women or men in medicine, I'd say no. But I, there is something that's changed that makes me sad. And that has to do with the boards. Mm. Now, you've heard mm. this probably from a whole lot of your attendings. And so 40 years ago, we took the boards. No one studied for the boards. You just <laughs> sat there and you took the boards because it was taken as a pass fail kind of concept. Okay. You, you just had to pass them. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there was a number, but it was really our grades that mattered. Right. So it wasn't my boards that made me AOA. It was my grades, my grades in my clerkship, my mm. grades in my first two years. So the board scores have nothing to do with whether you're AOA or not. So we didn't see the board number as being uh, an advantage in getting a residency or not. I so see. we went to class and we did the work and we took it seriously. Yeah. And the boards were never on our horizon. Meaning, once again, it's me. Mm-hmm. So... But I didn't, st- I just walked in and you took them. It was just like one of those things you have to, oh gosh, this Saturday, I just got to take this test. <laughs> and so we didn't study. We didn't have t- no one gave us time to study. It was, yeah. it was just a measure of whether you could drink from the fire hose of knowledge. Yeah. Right. Could you do it and, and pass? So right. no one said, oh, I got whatever. And I'm sorry because it seems to be an overwhelming, obsessive yes. concern. It is. So, and people lose, you know, you don't learn to be a doctor from a Q-bank. Right. Yes. I love that you say this because I go to lecture because I want to know, like, what do I need to know when I'm going to start rotation? What do I need to know to understand the system? But I feel like a lot of times I then start asking my question, which I hate that I do this, but sometimes I'm like, oh, what do I need to know for the boards? It makes me sad that I need to think, oh, um, a lot of people are like, oh, this thing you don't need to know because it's not on the boards. Yeah. But it's like, I will need to know this when I have when a patient I in front of me, patient in front of me, like yeah. a certain type of staging, like staging of cancer or yeah. like, you know, things like that. Right. So along those lines today, they use the board score to kind of di- dictate which residency programs you're eligible for. Yeah. True. But I'm curious. Who like, does that? <laughs> that's bad counseling, I think. I know. It makes yeah. me so sad. All a high... Board scored means to me is someone knows how to game the system. Right. Yes. Someone spent a lot of time in the Q-Bank. It does not predict what kind of a doctor. So we, during all the years when I was on the residency selection committee, if it was anything, I just wanted them to get about 220. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over 220, that's great. But I paid no attention. After that, it was who got honors, who got letters, who was good at everything. Because OBGYN mm-hmm. are the seven domains. You have to be... Right. You have to be a real yes. doctor. I know there was a point in history when women felt like or were pressured to only enter a select few oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. careers and specialties. Did you feel that pressure at all when deciding your residency? Um, hmm, no. I did, well, yes, in the sense that I originally thought I was going to do uh, internal medicine genetics, mm-hmm. but nobody got better in internal medicine. It was very tiresome. You, you know, you micromanage people's electrolytes and they don't get better. They just don't die. Yeah. And so I said, well, forget this. I'm a seamstress. I know how to sew. So I'm going to be a surgeon, nice. which was great. But the surgeons were all guys and they were 
rude. Mm, that's right. <laughs> they were. And I thought, do I want to spend the six six years of my life with people who who aren't very nice to people or kind of don't talk nice about their patients? Yeah. Yeah. And it just happened that as an OBGYN, the people I worked with, they cared about their patients. They had mm-hmm. continuity and they got to operate. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I didn't think about neurosurgery because neuroanatomy was my one not perfect grade. <laughs> so I'm not good at that. I love how you remember that, I Dr. Jones. I remember my grades, not how I did in the boards, but whether I, what I did in neuroanatomy. So I don't think it mattered. And the hours didn't really matter. It was, what did I think I could really be good at? Yeah. That's great. Um, I thought, I think I can be good at this. So as a mentor of students, people would say, oh, I've been told I should never try to apply for OBGYN because, you know, I got 200 on my board scores. And I said, that's a pass. Mm -hmm. You know, how did you, I really want to look for people who were totally engaged in what they were doing, were the very best student doctors they knew how to be. Mm -hmm. And that was reflected in their evaluations and their letters. If someone really wants to do this, you know, you may not get into a program for which they pride themselves on their board scores, but there you are with a bunch of people who game the system. Do you really want to be there? No. Yeah. You know, I understand evaluation drives performance, right? Yes. That's a, right. That's the fundamental driver of med ed. Yes. You know, how you evaluate students is what you, what you measure is what you get. So if we measure board scores in a big way, it becomes a, a must pass or must excel kind of thing. And that's where students are kind of put all their time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to revisit back when you said that you found OBGYN and it contained all seven domains of medicine. For mm-hmm. our listeners who right. don't know what that is, could you give a brief description? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come visit our podcast, The Seven Domains <laughs> of Women's Health. So many people and physicians might think health has to do with your cholesterol or your blood pressure. So your physical health is important, but so is your psychological health. And your social health and your emotional health and your financial health and your spiritual health and your environmental health. So there are many aspects that women have told. We didn't make this up. Women told us, Mm -hmm. I'm only as happy as my least happy child. Duh. Well, I didn't get that told as a mom. I only have one kid. So if my kid's not happy, I'm not happy. But (laughs) even people who had five fabulous kids, but their six was struggling, they're not happy. If your financial health is, if you're struggling financially, you don't sleep well. Your tummy doesn't feel good. Or maybe you eat junk food because it's your comfort food. Mm -hmm. And if your social health, where are your friends? Who's your support? So if you want to, you can actually, the University of Utah's Center of Excellence in Women's Health, you could Google University of Utah Center of Excellence Women's Health, go to their webpage, and you can actually do a questionnaire in each of these seven domains. And you can get a little snapshot of things that we think are important mm-hmm. in each of those domains and see what part of your health, that's in quotations, mm-hmm. your wellness, you need to work on. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I'm a firm believer that your health yeah. and well-being is a component or like a composite of all those different parts of your life, You're right. not just your physical health. Right. And there are women who feel well, even if they have critical medical illnesses, mm-hmm. which are maybe fatal, mm-hmm. but they are healed by the other parts of their seven domains. Their spiritual health buoys them. Their social health, their family 
supports them. Mm-hmm. The environment around them is safe. Mm-hmm. And even though they have a devastating, fatal illness. So do we ask those when we take, we sort of, in the social health, yes. do you smoke, you know, do you have sex with men, women, or girls, or whatever? <laughs> I mean, we don't somehow put together the patient as this round hole right. all the way. But we do ask, are you safe? Do you have enough money to buy yes. these this right. prescription I just gave you. Mm-hmm. Um, so often the social history part of the history, taking the history of a patient is so small and forgotten, but may have the most important information yeah. yes. about that patient's health. Yeah. I mean, we do ask, are you safe? And sometimes right. we get that, oh, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and we ask, do you have sex with men, women, or both? But that doesn't really get down to the core of who they love. Right. Yes. Um, are you and, satisfied are you, with that? Yeah. yeah. Maybe their dog is their number one person in their life, yeah. as it is for many people. Yeah. Right? yeah. I love that. And we also at the Bundle of Hers, we try to talk about like all the different parts that go into making a person as a whole. Like we, we try to shed that light with medical students. Like we all have different identities and like how that bridges in together. And so I'm really like happy that you are talking about these and you seem so wise and um, <laughs> no, I, everything I have, I've learned from my patients and often my young patients. Uh-huh. So I was happily listening to your birth experiences and your <laughs> cultural birth experiences. And, and think, you know, all of you experience this with some tenderness. Well, that was a great episode. I know we love doing that one. Um, I actually read um, online. I was just, it was a blog, I think by Dr. Lee, um, the remarkable career of Kurtley Parker Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a specific part where I loved how you said in academic medicine, one needs to move over so people can move up. Can you explain that a little bit more? Well, if you're if you're really nurturing those fabulous talents below you, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to be their ceiling. I don't want to be the roof that they bump up against. Uh, many of them have more talent in either administration. They have more vision than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also come with a young mind that is fresh, um, developmentally fresh and culturally fresh. I am a boomer. I am such a boomer. Mm-hmm. So I'm stuck being a boomer. So I don't want to be someone's ceiling. Okay. And especially young people that I love. Mm-hmm. So if these are people that I mentored then the best thing I can do when they have grown is to move out of the way. In many ways, that's our what we do for our children, right? Mm-hmm. We hope yeah. that when they are ready to fly, we are not their ceiling. We're not their cage. Mm-hmm. We move aside to let them free. Right. And I want to do that. So, uh, so I did that at a moderately young age when I think of, you know, either legislators or academicians who are occupying their only so many spaces in a department and, yeah. and the most productive members of a academic department are the 40 to 50 year olds. 30 mm-hmm. year olds are still kind of getting their training shoes all yes. laced up, but, <laughs> but 40 to 50 year olds are remarkably both productive and innovative and, and also they speak to their time mm-hmm. and I speak to a time that's been passed and I don't want them to feel like they have to leave. Mm-hmm. So the paradigm was if you wanted to move up, you had to move out. Mm-hmm. And the paradigm in academic medicine, you had to leave. Well, now many women are married to physicians. Many women, 50% of women physicians are married to other physicians. 
So moving two academicians is a very difficult thing. Right. So if for some reason, you know, they are happy here and they're good, why not let them rise? Mm-hmm. That's what I want for you guys. I want I want you to rise. I love that. That's so Thank you. encouraging. And it kind of speaks to the paradigm shift that I see in medicine now, away from the kind of linear hierarchical patriarchy, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, now to a more team-based yes. approach to caring for a patient and medicine. And I, and I notice as a student that I, I've heard so many horror stories of the doctor, quote unquote, pimping you or just completely belittling you. But I've my experience has been that of a team where I am now I, I'm seen as a member, even though right. I'm just a second year medical student. I I feel valuable and helpful in the team setting. And I think that this paradigm shift that you're explaining kind of outlines that shift. Right. And I think it's such a positive thing for medicine. Well, that's definitely a change in terms of the team idea. And mm-hmm. and what I've found over the years that often the medical student may have had the extra time if they took it and weren't studying for the board. <laughs> um, they may have had the time to actually learn about the patient a little bit more. Yeah. So everyone has something to offer. And it may be the medical student who says, do you know this patient we admitted for preterm labor who's in the hospital has two children without care at home, mm. and she's probably going to walk out because the baby who's in her tummy isn't the one that she loves. It's the two children sure. with no care yeah. at home. And the medical student picked that up. Mm-hmm. So everyone on the team has something to offer. Yeah. Usually. If, yes. <laughs> usually, yeah. If they're engaged. My world anew. It's like having a three-year-old. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, the sky is blue. Mom, it's like, yeah, this guy is, but oh, wow, it really is pretty, isn't it? So <laughs> medical students, you know, if they're engaged, they give you the world anew. Mm-hmm. And residents and fellows are coming up with new ideas. You are never bored. And when you're tired of clinical medicine, there's teaching. And when you're not, if you're not so good at that, there's some research questions. Yes. Or, or maybe you can just make the boat go in another way as an administrator. Mm-hmm. So it's I never really was at all tempted by the finances or the what I consider the treadmill of private practice. But that's my perspective. Mm-hmm. I've been spoiled. But you guys, take advantage. Okay. Go do well. something fun. <laughs> yes. Open your eyes big. Okay. There is life beyond the boards. And <laughs> whatever sure. you're going to do, I think you spend so much time thinking, where am I going to get my residency and worrying about the next four years? I think the trick is to make this day, this rotation, this learning, the best you know right mm-hmm. now, because it goes by very quickly, mm-hmm. and you'll never be this young, this smart, <laughs> this energetic again. I but, love that. Yeah, so. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. I do want to ask one final question oh, yeah. that we usually ask to our guests, and it is like, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Oh, well, my my first legacy is over a hundred, more than a hundred, fabulous residents who are out there taking care of women. And if I taught them reproductive medicine and reproductive biology, if they think of me when they see a woman with hot flushes, then good. <laughs> and it's the thousands of students who came through my clerkship who I didn't terrorize who <laughs> say, I think I'm going to treat this woman with a little extra care. Thank you for listening to The Bundle of Hers. Make sure you check out Dr. Kirtley Jones's podcast, The Seven Domains of Women's Health. 
and check out our podcast on iTunes. Or if you want to leave us a message about this episode or any other episodes, check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Bye. 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 Thank you, ladies. Thank you. See, you you guys are the stars.